hearts. And we come to the third part in our series. In part one, we talked about uh, that we need to be on high alert. There's a war going on. We need to be ready for it and be ready to understand and, and know how to engage in that war. And then for the last three weeks, we've talked about the adversaries in this war. We've talked about the devil and, and uh, our flesh and, and the world, and we'll talk about that a little bit more today. Uh, but we move to uh, the subject matter of our allies in this battle, those that, that we fight al- alongside. And there are three of those that we're going to examine in the upcoming weeks, the Holy Spirit, angels, and the church. And we're going to see how each of those allies uh, will help us in their own special way, aid and bring strength and encouragement to each of us as believers in this battle that we fight against evil. And so I want to look at John chapter 16 as we explore the role that the Holy Spirit plays in this fight. And I'm going to ask that you, if you haven't already, turn to John chapter 16. If you have a pew Bible, you can find that on page 902 in your pew Bible. But I ask you stand for the reading of God's word as we begin our time this morning. Here's what uh, Jesus shares with his disciples and with us uh, today. I did not say these things. I'm starting, uh, of course, in in, uh, uh, verse 5. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who has sent me. And none of you asks, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let's pray. Father God, we've come together from a myriad of backgrounds and circumstances this week. For many, Lord, this week has been a week of of ongoing struggle, a struggle against the enemies that we've been talking about. And we come into a place and we're seeking answers this morning. We're seeking to know how we can do your will in a world so filled with sin and evil. How can we do your will when the devil roams around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour? How do we do your will when it seems as if the very essence of our being cries out to do the things that are contrary to your will and plan? 
We come for answers this morning, Lord, and I pray that we would open our ears and our hearts to the answer that it is your Holy Spirit, uh, the Spirit that indwells each and every child of God in this place, the Holy Spirit that empowers us and, and enlightens us to the truth of your Scripture, the power uh, that enables us to say no to sin and ungodliness and worldly lust and to pursue that will. Lord, I pray today that the spirit of the living God would fall fresh uh, on us, that it would lead us, that he would guide us, that he would minister to us in our hour of need. We need him in our lives, and we pray that we would respond by walking in him and therefore not living out the deeds of the flesh. So Lord, lead us in this time. I ask that Spirit will be the teacher this morning for us, that I will move out of the way so that that Spirit may, may impact our hearts through the words that he has heard from you, and that he might declare them to us this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. As we explore this issue of alliances over these next couple weeks, Alliances, I've come to recognize as a person who enjoys history, that alliances are vastly important for any nation. Uh, as a nation here in America, we have found ourselves on the receiving end and the giving end of life-giving alliances to other countries. The very first war that we fought as 13 colonies probably would have ended in defeat if it wasn't the alliance with the French nation. Well, if France wouldn't have come with their money and with their navy, we probably would still be British and under British control. During the Civil War, the South fought hard for an alliance to be built with that same French country and, and sought the power and the might of the French military to come to the aid of the Confederacy. And most historians believe if the French would have joined in with the Confederacy during the Civil War, the Civil War may still be raging today. Uh, we uh, no doubt know that uh, many brave men and women, millions of them, would, would go off to far-flung places in the world because we joined an alliance with the allied forces to vanquish the Axis rulers of Japan, Italy, and of course Germany. Uh, we have been on the, both the receiving and giving end of alliances. An alliance, simply put, is a formal agreement a formal agreement uh, where two people or two groups or, or two nations find themselves agreeing to vanquish a common foe. And in our battle this morning, as believers, we look around and we ask the question this morning, who's fighting with us? In this battle against sin, in this battle against spiritual forces, who is with us? And the Bible makes it clear that we have three strong allies that are in our midst. And if we're going to find victory in this battle against sin and against our flesh and against the world, we're going to need to lock arms with these allies. We're going to need to know what these allies can provide for us and utilize those alliances in a way that will bring glory and honor to God as we find victory in this battle. I want you to know this morning that maybe today you find yourself in a place of defeat. 
and you feel like nobody's around to help you, if you call yourself a child of God this morning, if you've bowed the knee in repentance to Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to recognize that any attack by the devil, any attack by the world, any attack or temptation by your flesh is seen as an act of war against God himself. And because he's our ally, because he's our friend, God has said any attack on you, he will come and protect us in our hour of need. And so we don't need to uh, be fearful or be filled with dread because we have an ally on our side who makes us more than conquerors. Now there's this thought in Christian society and in the evangelical world today that the way you vanquish spiritual forces is you grab a couple Bible verses and I rebuke you, Satan, and go around uh, wreaking havoc in the spiritual realm. And while the deliverance, and, and if you remember, we handed out a, a, a position paper by your elders regarding the issue of demons and, and the devil and, and the whole deliverance ministry, I, I want to tell you that vanquishing evil in your life and, and waging spiritual warfare is not filled with the, if you will, the big things that you maybe see on TV or through Christian fiction. It isn't always the vanquishing and rebuking of spirits. The greatest way that you and I can find victory in this spiritual battle is by placing ourselves under the lordship of Jesus Christ and the leadership of the Holy Spirit. That doesn't seem flashy. It doesn't seem like it's all that noteworthy, but I want to remind you that is the prescription over and over and over again we see in the scriptures, to walk by the Spirit so that we will not live out the appetites of the flesh, that we will not fall prey to the temptations of the devil. I want you to recognize this morning that even though the scriptures do talk about delivering of, of demons and, and that, they're the exception, not the rule. And so we need to understand how uh, God has given us in everyday life the allies we need to fight this battle. There's a couple things I want us to notice, though, before we get into the Holy Spirit's role. First of all, if we're going to find victory this morning through the power of the Holy Spirit, we must remember and recognize the adversaries we toil against. So as a way of reminder, let's remember where we've come from and what we've uh, learned through this process. In Ephesians chapter 6, we are told that we have an enemy that is out there, and that the enemy is one that has some characteristics to it. Number one, this enemy is spiritual. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. I want you to recognize this morning your battle with sin, your battle with the world, your battle with the devil is not a battle that can be fought with human weapons. I also want you to recognize this morning that your fight, your war is not with other people. As I've watched because of some of the things that have gone in, uh, on in our country in the last couple of weeks, uh, the social media that is going on, it is really easy for us as Christians to think the people who disagree with us, who live lives different than we do, are the enemy. They are not the enemy. They are prisoners of war. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's spiritual. And so that should remind us that the fight we're fighting isn't something in and of ourselves that we can uh, defeat on our own. We can't use human weaponry to resolve this issue. 
I want you to notice also that this uh, war that we're fighting is a societal fight. What I mean by that is we talked about the world was that this war is being waged not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, principalities, and authorities of this dark age or dark world. We live in a society, we live within a system that seeks to do things apart from God. I reminded you a couple weeks ago that, that the world is the system or society that seeks to find its purpose and happiness apart from God. And so many of us will say right away, I'm not fighting the spiritual warfare. I'm not into issues of the occult. I'm not into uh, things that I shouldn't be from a a dark-sided way of things. But this is the one that hits close to home for us as believers. Because we live in this world, we, we fall prey to the frog in the kettle type syndrome. Because we find ourselves swimming in the murky mess of this world, we think that we are not having to fight this spiritual war and the devil has us lulled to sleep into thinking that there's no battle going on. But let me remind you this morning that you and I do many things to find our happiness, to find our purpose apart from God. We make decisions every day where we don't invite God into the mix, where we don't invite God's word into the process. And I want to remind you this morning, as I remind myself in my time of study this week, that every time I make a decision apart from God, without God in my mind in that process, asking God, what would you do? God, how would you want me to spend my money? God, how would you want me to treat this person? God, how would you want me to go about this situation? When I don't ask that question in those moments of life, I am moving myself into the realm of the world, not into the realm of the Spirit. And I'm going to tell you this morning, if you're anything like me, a ton of my decisions happen over there. And I need the Spirit's help to remind me and convict me of the truth that I need to be asking each and every day, Lord, what will you have of me? You see, we live in a world that glorifies self, not God. And and you can't live in the in-between. And so we have to make a decision in this world. Will we live in this world with a desire to glorify God in all ways or will we compete with the glory for ourselves? The devil and demons and and the world we are fighting against. But also our final enemy, what we learned about last week, is the flesh, the selfishness of you and I. Now you say, Tim, wait a minute, you said uh, we wrestle not against flesh and blood and now you're saying our third enemy is the flesh. Yes, uh, we have an enemy and, and the Bible describes it as the flesh. What it is is the selfish you and me. It's the selfish you and me that thinks we're in charge. The flesh speaks of the appetites, the hungers, the desires we have as as human beings. These are real desires. These are real hungers. And in and of themselves, they're not evil. It's not wrong to have desires. It's not wrong to have feelings and, 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 and wants for certain things. Where they fall into a place of sin is when we seek to take care of those appetites through our own means. We seek to feed them. We seek 
to encourage them in our own power. We appeal to them. We worship them. We place them in a higher level than they should be. We, we, we do them in scenarios and situations where God has said they cannot be. Instead of waiting, we push forward. And that's what gets us into trouble. You see, sin shows itself as a deceptive desire that if we take care of it through our own means, in our own timing, then we'll be happy. We'll find contentment. But the Bible says that being deceived, that that sin will lead to our death. The flesh is the desire that seeks to achieve one's happiness and contentment apart from God. So let me ask you this week, what things did you do that you were more important than God? That thing that you wanted to buy, that, that desire you had to pursue things that God says, that's, that's not becoming of a believer. It's the selfish you and I, the selfish one that has to have it. So amongst us we have in this battle the world, the flesh, and the devil. I want to remind you of this because as believers we should have this posted all over the place. A couple of weeks ago, we, we chronicled across the, all the major news networks uh, the pursuit of two fugitives in New York, convicted murderers. And I was watching one of the news programs, and they were chronicling all the ways that they were seeking out to put down the dragnet, if you will, uh, around these criminals. Their faces were everywhere. Every time you turned on the TV, they were there in the New York area. They made sure that they communicated any spotting or sighting of them and making sure that everybody was aware who the enemy was and and to know and recognize to point them out and that's how they would be caught. They would be spotted. And one of the ways as, as we as Christians deal with these enemies is we need to help one another spot them. And we need to be talking about these things. We need to be talking about how the enemy is wreaking havoc in our lives. It should happen in our small groups. It should happen in our fellowship where we say, you know what, brother and sister, I'm struggling with this issue. The devil's wreaking havoc in my life. And you say, well, why would you say that? Because when we call out what it is, we're able to then expose it for what it's all about. We're able to say, okay, If you're struggling with that, then I need to be careful that I'm struggling with that. Parents, we need to be talking amongst one another about the struggles that our our young people are having. And we need to say to one another and and help one another recognize and expose the issues that, that our young people are dealing with. Listen, the devil wants us to expose those things, and when we expose them, to have someone else go, oh, I don't have that problem. You're a weirdo. What's your problem? My kids don't have those issues. My kids are perfect. What's your problem? But God wants us to declare those things so that we can articulate to one another, and we'll talk about this when we get to the church, that we'll help one another recognize when the enemy is about. I believe one of the biggest reasons why we fail in this war against sin is because we're trying to fight it, number one, on our own, and we're trying to do it in private. And when we do it on our own and when we do it in private, listen, if you're fighting sin, I've told you this before, if you're fighting sin alone or doing it in private, I can almost assure you you're losing. You're losing. If someone else doesn't know about your problem, if there isn't someone praying for you about that problem, if there isn't a group of people that you can turn to and be honest with and say, I need help, then you're probably losing. 
And so we need to recognize this morning, we've got some allies. We've got some. While the adversaries are tough, while they come at us from all directions, we have, listen, number two, an ally we can turn to. We have an ally that we can turn to. In this battle that's waging around us, in our time of need, we have one whom we can turn to. Francis Chan called this ally the forgotten God. He's the Holy Spirit. Growing up in, a, in Bible churches, the Holy Spirit seemed to always get a bad rap. We would diminish him. We would squelch him and his presence, kind of like Mary, the mother of Jesus, because of some of the excesses that we see in, in churches around us. Because maybe some have elevated whether the Holy Spirit or Mary to a place that maybe is unscriptural. We as a church have swung the pendulum the other way. And we've said, well, let's diminish it so we don't get ourselves into any trouble to our own demise. The Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit is there. The Holy Spirit is the one who indwells us, who lives within us. The Holy Spirit is the one who is there to help us fight against sin and temptation. And so we need to change our understanding of the Holy Spirit and embrace with biblical confidence the role the Holy Spirit plays in our lives. So let's do so by exploring three important aspects of the Holy Spirit. First of all, we need to recognize that the Holy Spirit was promised during a a time of great spiritual warfare. In John chapter 14 through chapter 17, Jesus is spending his last earthly uh, moments with his disciples in an upper room. They're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Jesus is going to wash their feet. They're going to go to a time of prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then after that, Jesus will be arrested. The disciples will depart from him, denying their even knowledge of who he is. And then the crucifixion, arrest and crucifixion will take place. And in John chapter 14, it is a moment of not fun and frivolity, but a time of great tension for the disciples. It is a room that is so thick that you could cut the air with a knife. Jesus has now moved and changed uh, what the disciples thought was the mission. They had thought that they were going to take over Rome through a political insurgency. And who could blame them? They had seen this Jesus do all these amazing things. Jesus had no problem dealing with weather. He had no problem dealing with demons. He had no problem dealing with sickness. Jesus had no problem dealing with the religious leaders. Jesus had even raised the dead. And these disciples had come to the realization that Jesus can do absolutely anything he wants. And what we want him to do is is take off the chains of, of slavery that Rome has on us and to build his kingdom. But here's the problem in John chapter 13, 14 through 17. Jesus pivots and this invincible guy now starts talking about laying down his life. He starts talking about going to a cross. He talks about uh, how the Son of Man needs to suffer. He talks about he's going away. And and it's easy for us to badmouth the disciples and say, man, what was their problem? I'll tell you what, if I was one of them, I would be disheartened. you got to be kidding me. Everything I expected, everything that I thought I was getting in this now seems to be falling apart. And, and at that moment, they're filled with great trepidation and fear. 
And of course, we know the words of John chapter 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. And it's in John chapter 14 that after he shares that he's going to go away and prepare a place for us, he begins to tell the disciples in John 16 that if I go, it's good for me to go because I'm going to send you one who will be of greater advantage to you than me staying with you. Now put that into the minds of the disciples for a moment. This Jesus, who seemingly has done everything that you could ever imagine, is going to leave, and he says, the one I'm going to send you is of greater advantage to you, John 16 tells us, than me staying with you. Now that rebuts, by the way, any thought that you and I have, and we say this all the time, oh, if I could only walk with Jesus, if I could see the miracles, if I could hear his teaching, then I would really be a faithful individual. Jesus seems to say the opposite. Jesus says, if you've got the Holy Spirit living within you, it is of greater advantage than you walking and talking with me in the physical realm, being a part of my earthly ministry, seeing the the things that I've done in my body while on earth. And so in this moment, the disciples are going to face some of the most difficult trials and troubles they've ever faced. The devil's gonna come at them. Jesus at one point tells uh, the apostle Peter, the devil desires to sift you like wheat. He wants you, Peter. We know the world was coming at him. When Jesus is arrested, there are people that are, are trying to call out Peter for his knowledge and relationship and friendship with Jesus. And they're gonna come at him. Jesus says in John chapter 16 that they're gonna wanna kill you and they're gonna think in killing you, they're doing a service to God. That they're gonna do all these terrible things the world is to you and think they're doing a good thing. The world's gonna come at them. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, the flesh for sleep is going to keep them from the will of God when it comes to praying just for an hour. So you have all of these forces coming upon the disciples, beating the disciples down in one of the greatest battles of spiritual warfare, and it's in that moment, in that context of Scripture, that Jesus says, I am giving you an ally who will give you victory in the most difficult times of the battle. His name is the Holy Spirit. He's going to come and he's going to help you. He's going to serve you in a way that Jesus himself says, I couldn't. For many of us as Christians, we are fighting this battle on our own. And we are thinking that we can find victory on our own. But unless we are tapped into the Holy Spirit, we will never find the victory that God wants for us to experience. But what does this Holy Spirit do? Well, number one, he dwells in you. That's one of the reasons why it was of an advantage. Jesus, uh, in his earthly ministry, didn't indwell anyone. He was God in human form, in, in the nature of a man, the book of Philippians says. The Holy Spirit lives inside every one of us who calls on the name of Jesus to be saved. And notice a couple things. It comes during a time of great spiritual warfare, but notice also the Holy Spirit performs duties that no one else can do. He does some things that that no one else can. Notice in John 16, 
He says that this one is going to come. Verse seven, I tell you it is to your advantage that I go away for if I don't go away, the helper, the parakletos is literally that word there. The one who comes alongside of you, the one who encourages you, the one who enables you to go the extra mile, this parakletos, this helper is going to come. And and when he comes, what is he going to do? Notice verse 8. When he comes, he will convict the world. Okay, let's define a couple things this morning. The world is that system, that that group of individuals that, that are filled in humanity, men and women and children. He's going to do something to the world. One of our enemies, the world, he's going to do something with them. If you underline or circle in your Bible, uh, the word that I would have you circle is the word convict. The word convict, that is uh, by far the main purpose of the Holy Spirit. He's going to notice, convict the world of what? Sin, righteousness, and judgment. Well, what does that word convict mean? It's a Greek word that comes from the drama within a courtroom where a prosecuting attorney has the defendant on the witness stand. And the prosecuting attorney starts his questioning. And he begins questioning the defendant, all these different questions from all these different vantage points. In essence, getting the judge to agree with him that the one who's on the witness stand is guilty. And so the Holy Spirit, over and over, incessantly, is saying to the world, you are guilty. Here's proof why. And over and over again, he articulates this, piling pieces of evidence upon other pieces of evidence and and, and just piling it up, if you will, against the defendant. Fact upon fact upon fact upon fact until the enormity of the the, uh, evidence is so overwhelming that the judge is forced to say, you are guilty beyond a shadow of a reasonable doubt. But not only that, He presents this evidence against the world in such overwhelming fashion, listen, to the point that the judge doesn't just say, you're guilty, but the defendant stands up in the witness stand and says, I give up, I'm guilty too. If you maybe didn't know that from a Greek language standpoint, if you're a child of God, you recognize that that's how you came to know Jesus. If you think about it for a moment, and it would be easier for you if you came to know Christ at a, a much later age, that the Holy Spirit just kept dogging you, piling evidence, showing you the futility of your ways, showing you that you're guilty, recognizing that God says you're guilty. But even beyond that, finally, after one more piece of evidence is given, uh, some of you stood up and said, you know what? I am guilty. I did the crime. You see, this is a knowledge that we need to have when we go evangelizing people. You see, your job, listen, your job is not to convict the person that they're in sin. That's this Holy Spirit's job. Your job is to declare the truth that one, we are sinners in need of God's grace, and two, Jesus is the one who gives the grace by the perfect cross bearing that he did by dying in our place. 
And so we don't need to try to do uh, spiritual gymnastics to get someone to, to do something to become a believer. That's the Holy Spirit's job. It's the Holy Spirit who will press the issue. We just need to be true to the message. Now notice he judges the world or convicts the world of sin, but notice of judgment as well. He declares to the world, you're a sinner and you're heading to hell. You're a sinner and you're under the wrath of God. You're a sinner and facing a, a life sentence for all of eternity of death. With overwhelming force, he declares over and over again to the world that God's judgment is over them. This is how God is displaying his wrath through the work of the Holy Spirit, where Romans 1 says the wrath of God is being shown against all ungodliness. The Holy Spirit, like a prosecuting attorney, is just throwing it to the world and showing the world that life apart from God is foolishness. But what encouragement is that? I thought the Holy Spirit was to encourage us. What advantage is it for us to hear that we are dirty, rotten, people deserving of death. Jesus tells us, notice in the text, that the Holy Spirit comes also to convict the world concerning righteousness. So the Holy Spirit's there, and and what he says is he builds the case that we're in the worst place that we could be because of our sin. But here's the good news. Jesus is the answer. Jesus has come to take our punishment for sin and death. Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, takes away our sin and our judgment. It is Jesus, the one and only, who is our way to redemption and peace with God. That if you bow the knee in repentance and faith, you can no longer live under the sentence of death, but now live in the sentence of life and joy and peace and contentment. This is the gospel That the Holy Spirit has come to convict the world and we are to share the good news of Jesus Christ that people no longer need to live in their sin, no longer in the deeds of death, but now can live in the newness of life. And some of you say, well, that's fine and good, but what about me for as a believer. Yeah, I get that the Holy Spirit gets me to a place of being convicted of my sin and, and convicts me of Jesus and his role in my life, but I want to remind you that the Holy Spirit also is pivotal, write this down, pivotal to defeating the forces of evil. So now in the life that you're living, you say, what does the Holy Spirit do? You will not win in this battle without him. In Ephesians chapter 6, which we will get to at the end of this series, Paul will say three times, that the spirit needs to be involved in the fight. We need to put on pieces of armor that come from the spirit. We need to pray in the spirit at all times, Paul says in that text. And so without the spirit, we're gonna be sunk. And some of you this morning find yourself trying to live this life on your own. You're struggling with this sin and the devil keeps beating you up over this sin. And and you're gonna start another week with this idea. I'm gonna try harder, right? I'll, I'll do better this week. I won't look at that stuff. I won't read that stuff. I, I won't engage in that activity. I'll just, I'll just try harder. And you're in the try hard, fail, merry-go-round. So next week you'll come in and you'll be just as despondent as you were this morning. I call myself a Christian and I failed again and I'm never gonna get it. Let me remind you that the good, probably a good reason why this is happening is because you're trying to do it in your own strength. 
The very essence of I will try harder should cue you that you're not tapping into the Spirit's strength. My father used to remind us of a a verse, a a verse that you don't hear about much. Many of you maybe have never even studied this book of the Bible, the book of Zechariah. And in the book of Zechariah, my my dad always used to tell three boys, would remind us that if we're going to do anything great for God, if we're going to serve him, if we're going to honor him, if we're going to find victory in this battle, if we're going to find victory over the temptations that befall young men and young women, that we can't do it on our own. We can't try hard and fail and live that life. But in Zechariah 4, 6, a reminder for us that it is not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So I want you to think about this verse for a moment and put it in this. Whatever you're struggling with, maybe the devil's beating you up with discouragement this morning. Maybe the devil's deceived you that make you think that you can partake in that sin and still uh, be in the will and plan of God. Maybe the devil has got you thinking or the world's got you thinking that you're defeated and, and can never do anything of value uh, for, for God in this world. You put that before Zechariah 4, 6, whatever it is. Some of you are struggling with the issue of lust or lying or, or, or depressive thoughts. And, and you say, I can't fix this on my own. Put that before Zechariah 4, 6 and say, whatever that issue is, it's not by might, it's nor by power, but it's by my spirit, the Holy Spirit, that will help me to defeat this issue that's in my life. The Lord of hosts. By the way, the Lord of hosts is the military name of God. God says, hey, my angel armies will take care of that. The spirit that indwells you will take care of that. So stop trying to fix it on your own and give it to the Lord. Well, how do you do it? There's some actions we must take. There's some actions we must take. How do we engage this ally and be victorious? Paul says in the book of Ephesians that if we try to do it on our own, we're goners. So the battle is, is raging around us. We need to fill ourselves with the Spirit. What does that look like? Can I be honest with you? I was struggling. I wanted more pizzazz to this sermon. I wanted to be able to tell you, here's four steps, four ways you can defeat the devil man and, and do it with a flourish. And I looked for the scriptures because I figured there got to be something there. Let's find something. Now, man, people walk out, they're high-fiving, wondering if I do these four things, man, I'll defeat the devil. Here it is. It's one thing. Walk by the Spirit. Well, that's not flashy. That doesn't get me all excited. That doesn't uh, beat the, the war drums, if you will, and get me ready for battle, right? But that's how we're to do it to walk by the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit. Turn in your Bibles for a moment to the book of Ephesians. To the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5. If you're in your pew Bible, you can turn to page 978. And I just want to remind us of what this filling of the Spirit is so that we can be reminded what we need to do in this week when we go into battle. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Let's stop there for a moment. How are we to tap into the Holy Spirit and find victory through his strength and his power? 
It is to be filled. What does it mean to be filled? Notice that this word or phrase to be filled is a phrase or a, a, a message of capitulation. It's surrender. It's I give up. To be filled is, is something that uh, we need to dig into a little bit. What does it mean to be filled? How, how do we do that? How do we go about that? That phrase be filled is found in, in the Greek in what we call middle voice. Now I know some of you are doing what I did in high school English class and that's fall asleep. But let me help you because it's important to understand that tenses and, and, and parts of, of these verbs are, and phrases are important. Middle voice is one of three ways that we can use uh, verbs. So let me help you out here. There are two that are familiar to us. Well, the third, the one being used here is not. Here are the voices, and I'll give it in a short sentence. There's the active voice. Used in a phrase, the boy hit the ball, okay? There's the passive voice. The boy was hit by the ball. You understand the difference there? The boy's doing something, that's active. The boy's having something done to him, that is passive. We use those a lot. It's the middle voice that is important here. It's the one that is used here. And it's literally that the subject acts upon himself. So let's go back to the boy with the baseball. The boy hid himself with the ball. Okay, so it's not something that's being done to him exclusively. It's not something he's doing exclusively to something else. Both are happening. He's doing something which is causing something to happen to himself. Hopefully you get that. If not, after the service, talk to the person sitting next to you. They'll walk you through it, okay? What this means is you have a part that you must do and someone else has a part that they must do. To be filled by the Spirit means you need to do something and something needs to be done to you. What that means is you and I cannot be filled by the Spirit by ourselves. We cannot say, I am going to be filled with the Spirit and put on some new clothes, fill yourself up with something, go about it through your own means. You can't do it by yourself. You can be ready to receive it, but it has to be given to you. A person must surrender themselves. Now notice in the text, he talks about the issue of intoxicating drink, wine, beer, whatever you want to call it. He says something needs to happen. For you to get drunk, you need two things. You need a working hand, okay, and, and a, a mind that says I'm going to take the, the glass of whiskey and pour, put it to my mouth and I'm going to drink it. But you also have, because you can't do that with an empty glass, right? You can't do that with, with water. And so you have to have the ability to do this motion, but you also have to have someone who's poured in the whiskey, the wine, that en enables your body to be under the influence of that drug. And so it's a one-two punch, if you will. And so we have a person who has to surrender themselves to the action of being filled with the Spirit. I want to be filled with the Spirit. That's part one. Part two is the Spirit actually coming and doing what you can't do, and that is filling you. Number two, notice it demands compliance. So the verb phrase is also written in an imperative mood. What that means is it's a command. What Paul is saying is that the Christian must be filled with the Spirit at all times. It's not optional. There are two 
modes you can have with regards to the Spirit. You can be filled with the Spirit or you can grieve the Holy Spirit. Listen, there's no in-between. Let me say that again. There's no in-between. So either you are filled with the Spirit at this moment, you were filled with the Spirit this week, or you grieve the Spirit. There is no, uh, you know what, I'm kind of doing both. You're either filled with them or grieved with them. And that's a question this morning you've got to ask of yourself, no one else, am I complying with that Spirit? Because some of you want victory in your life in the spiritual battle, and you're not fulfilling the part that you play in the process, and that is obedience to the command to be filled with the Spirit. The idea here is that as we are filled with the Spirit, as we take one step of being filled and another step of being filled, literally every part of our being is affected by it. Listen to how Paul uses, again, the drink, the strong drink as a metaphor. Every time the drinker takes a drink, every time he becomes more filled with the drink, the more and more he becomes filled, more and more of his body becomes affected by the drink that's filling him. Listen, as a believer... We are not filled at what happens. Listen, isn't that once, at one moment the filling of the Spirit happens and it's this deluge of, of filling? But what takes place is little by little, progressively, we continue to be more and more filled with the Spirit as we yield more and more of ourselves to Him. And so we need to be willing to comply and, and do that. But what it will mean is control. If you want to be filled with the Spirit, that means you're making less of the decisions and God's making more. Again, think of the metaphor with the drinking. The more the individual drinks, what becomes more controlling? The person or the drink? Help me out. The drink. So as he keeps drinking or she keeps drinking, the drink begins to take over more of the decisions, more of the plans and, and desires. The drink begins to become in charge, not the person. What Paul is saying is, is just as drink is to the alcoholic or to the drunk, so the spirit is to the Christian. As we begin to yield ourselves and give ourselves more to the spirit and are filled more and with it, then the sin you're struggling with isn't going to be as much of a struggle because you've yielded that to the spirit, not to the flesh. The things that you, as you walk with Jesus and as you interact with Jesus and his spirit, you will give yourself more over to that control to him as you walk with him and talk with him than you ever will on your own. Literally what will happen is everything that we do as Christians will be consumed by the desire to do what the Spirit wants done. That's how we're going to find victory in this world. But what it will mean is consistency. Uh, this word is found in the present tense, to be filled literally means that it needs to be an ongoing action. Being always completely filled with the Spirit. Listen, if you stop drinking, the effects of the alcohol will leave your body, right? If you drink, 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 get drunk, and stop drinking, at some point you'll have a hangover and, and you'll get back to being sober. I want to remind you that you can't be filled in the Spirit at one moment in time and live on the hangover, if you will. And some of you right now spiritually had some spiritual revival at some point in your life. Maybe as a teenager, maybe you went to camp, maybe, maybe 
you know, at some point Tim preached a message that fired you up. I don't know what it was. But you're living on the hangover of that. Being filled with the Spirit is each and every day saying, Lord, not my will be done, but your will be done. I'm going to live according to your spirit, not according to self. And so every day we need to yield ourselves over to the spirit. We need to fill, be filled each and every day. Again, it's a part that we do. It's a part that God does. And here's the thing. When we walk by the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, Galatians 5.16. So what are you struggling with this week? For some of us, we have filled ourselves with that sin, that pursuit, to the point of excess. And what the word of God says is, instead of filling yourself with that lust or, or that deed or, or, or that pursuit of the darker things of this world or, or the pursuit of being seen in the world as something special, to devote yourself, again, it's boring, it's not flashy, but each and every day to get up and dedicate yourself that I'm going to be a vessel that is going to be filled by the Spirit of God so that I will walk in the will of God, not in the will of the world, not in the will of the flesh, not in the will of the devil. I am going to only do what God wants of me. And let me tell you something. When you do that, the Spirit of Almighty God will fill you to no end. Let's go back to the disciples for a moment. Those disciples who ran away in fear, those disciples who denied Christ, those disciples who seemingly did whatever they could to, to protect themselves would be filled by that Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And 12 men would change the world. You don't think that the devil uh, is any, or you, you don't think that you have any chance at defeating the devil. You don't on your own. But when filled by the Holy Spirit, like I said before, we're more than conquerors. We can accomplish anything. With the Spirit of God in this church, it may seem like we've lost the culture war. The only reason why we're losing the culture war is we're not being filled with the Spirit. It's not the world's problem, it's ours. We're so built uh, or so filled up with other things that the Spirit of God can't find any room in our lives, in our calendars, in our priorities. And we need to, as a church, re, uh, re, uh, um, evaluate who we are and what we're all about and ask the question, are we filled with ourselves and filled with this world or are we filled with the Spirit? So how do we get there? Let's, let's close with some next steps. How do we walk in the Spirit this week? Number one, walking in the Spirit means welcoming Him into your life. And maybe today you've heard about things that you've never been able to put a word to. Maybe there's been struggles in your life and you've been struggling and trying to figure it out and maybe today you're hearing that, that Jesus has come to set you free from that. That Jesus has come to give you his Holy Spirit to live in and reside in you. And, and maybe today, maybe this morning, someone here needs to welcome the Holy Spirit into their life. To welcome the Holy Spirit in your life means that you need to bow the knee to Jesus Christ. You can't have the Spirit of God without Christ Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the one who gives it. He's the one who gives him to us. And maybe today some of you may find yourself at a place that you need to bow the knee to Jesus. You need to say no to your sin. You need to recognize you're a sinner. 
and receive Christ as your Savior and Lord. It's simple. Repentance and faith, believing that Christ is who he is and has done what he says he has done and will do for you what he says he will do. But listen, if anyone come after Jesus, he must deny himself and take up the cross and follow him. And so it's not just simply saying, I'll do this just to get some perks. What it means is I'm willing to go into the battle knowing I've got an ally on my side, namely the spirit of almighty God. Maybe today you've come into this place and that's where you're at. Um, I would say before you leave, come talk to me. Come talk to the person sitting next to you. Go to the Welcome Center. Find someone and say, what, what do I do to welcome the Spirit into my life? I, I want that. And our hope and prayer is that today you would leave with the Spirit filling you and being different than the way you walked in. Number two, ask Him to help you when trouble comes. You're going to be hit with temptation this week. You're going to be hit with all kinds of thoughts that are contrary to the will of God. You are going to be uh, tempted to go living your life without God. And I'm asking you in those moments to stop and to pray, seeking the Spirit's help in your hour of need, in your time. To ask help if you don't know what to do, if you don't know what decision to make. Stop and ask, Spirit of the living God, what would you have for me to do? I want to be filled with you. I, don't not, I do not want to fulfill the desires of my flesh. I want to fulfill your desires and your plans. So in those moments of trouble, in those moments of temptation, stop and find the way of escape that the Spirit of God gives you. Number three. Let him lead you towards holiness. You and I cannot pursue the holiness of God on our own. And the greatest prevention we have to being victorious is allowing the spirit of this world to wreak havoc in our lives and not allowing the spirit of God to fill us. And so some of us this morning need to stop and take pause and, and pray and say, Lord, I need your spirit to lead me. I need your spirit to guide me this week. I am lost without you. I don't even know what holiness looks like. I don't even know how to get to a place of holiness. Spirit, I need your help to get there. And that simple prayer, that simple desire will set you on the trajectory to a life of holiness, not a life of defeat. And the final thing this morning I want to remind you of, and it finishes the acronym of WALK, if you see is to keep the proper perspective. In the greatest struggle that we have against the world, the devil, and ourselves, Jesus reminds us, and John reminds us, but the Spirit reminds us of this truth in 1 John 4, 4, that greater is he that is in us, the Holy Spirit, than he that's in the world. Is that true for you this morning? If not, it's not God's fault. It's our own. And we need to seek the face of God and we need to be filled with his spirit so that we might find victory because we have the greatest ally on our side. Let's pray. Father God, I pray for us as a church. I pray for us as a people. This has been a hard message for me to prepare for because what I am preaching to my friends can come across as if I've got it figured out. And Lord, this week I, I failed at it. 
And I sit with the rest in, in the seats this morning under the teaching of your spirit, reminded that I have failed you more times than I know. And because of that, I find myself in a season and in a place of defeat more often than I do in a place of victory. So Lord, I pray as, as one who needs your filling just as the rest of us do, that you would fill us. Lord, you promised that. And so, Lord, we leave that to you, knowing in your right time, in your right way, you will fill us. But, Lord, even more than that, I pray that you would change our hearts, that we would position ourselves to be filled by you, that we would turn away from the things. Lord, whatever we're dealing with, whatever we're struggling with, that we would recognize, number one, that, that we're all struggling. Number two, that, that the front that we may be fighting may be different than one another, but that we would declare those things with, with confidence so that we can help one another see the goodness of the Spirit's work in our lives. So Lord, I pray this week that we would have close walks with you, that we would find ourselves being filled by your Spirit so that we will turn away from those places of defeat in our lives so we can experience victory. Lord, the chorus, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us is our prayer. For the one who's never trusted Christ, Lord, I pray that that spirit would convict them concerning sin and judgment and righteousness so that they might be changed. Lord, lead us from this place this morning into the world where the enemy and the battle is fierce where the enemy seeks to destroy us. Give us confidence that we have an ally on our side, that we can find victory this week. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.